Grab your Bible, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 21. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes the plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I have come. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. But when it goes, it takes along with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes Worse than the first. Uh, next week, being Christmas Sunday, we, uh, we're going to have kids in here and they're going to be doing their, their Christmas little uh, extravaganza for you. And uh, I decided that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you your Christmas message today. All right. So if you're not here, you missed it. If you're listening on tape. Uh, because next week, we're just going to enjoy Christmas morning together. We're going we're gonna to have a time of worship and uh, enjoy having the kids lead us a little bit and, and sing some carols and just uh, enjoy some fellowship on Christmas morning. And uh, we're not going to stay long. So uh, that means that I better preach this week. All right. So just hang on because you're going to be here like an hour or so because I'm making up for two weeks. Why would you preach Luke chapter 11 for a Christmas message? Uh, I could probably guarantee that none of you have heard Luke chapter 11 as a Christmas message. I may be the only one. The guy who taught me the Bible, I heard him preach a message on Luke 11 around Christmas. Uh, Or I would have never been able to tell you I've heard a Christmas message. But you know what? Uh, If you've been around a little while, you know that I like to look for something something unique around the holidays. You know, holiday messages kind of pop up here and there. And I always like to find that odd, weird message passage that you can that you can make a holiday message this is definitely one of them you you just heard me read it what in the world does that have to do with christmas you know when you think of just the word christmas what comes to mind um christmas trees poinsettias gifts if you're a child waking up at 5 30 a.m shaking your parents out of bed Santa's been here. We've got to open these gifts. Uh, maybe you're thinking shopping. Maybe you're thinking Christmas lights. Maybe you're thinking joy to the world, Christmas carols, singing, carolers. Uh, whatever it is that comes to your mind when you think of the word Christmas, it may not be what would come to mind when Jesus thinks of the word Christmas. Have you ever thought of that? I mean... What do you think Jesus would think of when he thinks of Christmas? Jesus' view on Christmas, I think, is uh, probably a little different than ours. He had a different perspective, didn't he? Kristen asked me this week, she said, uh, you know, do you want me to do a slide for you for Christmas? What do you want your sermon slide to be for the screen? I, uh, I texted her back and I said, why don't you make it camo? Just give me a camouflage deal and put Merry Christmas on it or something. And she texted me back and said, ha very funny. What do you really want? And I said, no, uh, put a couple tanks on there uh, and a manger and uh, maybe a few jets flying in, something like that, some camouflage, whatever, just figure it out, something, something military. She texted me back, no, seriously, what do you want? 
And I said, no, seriously. And here's why. Luke chapter 11 is probably the clearest place in your Bible for Jesus' perspective on what it was to be wrapped in flesh. If you were to ask Jesus, why did you come? A good answer would be Luke chapter 11, what we just read. In his own words, he gives description on why he was here. Watch this. Verse 21. Having just been accused by the religious leaders of the day, Pharisees, Sadducees, having just been accused of being in cohorts with Satan himself because he has healed a man and they've said, you heal by, by the name of Beelzebub. You're, you're in cohorts with, with the adversary. You're not of God. Can you imagine how offensive that would be to the Son of God, to God in the flesh? This passage is Jesus' response to that accusation. And he's going to say, listen, uh, you've, you've missed it right here. I am by no means ally with Satan. In fact, I'm the one that's here to vanquish the enemy. I, as coming as a babe wrapped in flesh, am declaring war on the adversary. In Jesus' mind, the purpose of him coming, it was mission Christmas. It was attack mode. Read his words. 21. When a strong man, who's the strong man? That would be Satan. When a strong man who is fully armed guards his house, his possessions are undisturbed. That's the situation of this world. But when someone stronger than he attacks, who would that be? That's, that's him. That's his description of being born into this world. Why are you here? I'm here to attack. I'm here because there's been someone strong on this earth. And he's in absolute control. You know what? There is someone stronger. I'm not in, I'm not in cahoots with the devil. He's a strong man, but you know what? I'm the stronger man, and I've come to blow him away. That's Christmas from Jesus' perspective. Isn't that interesting? Now, let me explain to you some, some things here. First of all, he's going to tell us some things about Satan. Look at verse 21. Number one, he's a strong man. Uh, in different places of Scripture, we get different definitions of who Satan is. He is called the God of this world who has blinded the eyes of this world. He's called the prince of the world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. It's said that the whole world lies in the grips of this, an evil one. Satan roams about, Scripture says, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that comes just verses after Jesus is called a good shepherd. But now... Satan is a roaring lion seeking those who he can devour. Martin Luther said this of Satan. His craft and power are great, and he is armed with hate. On earth is not his equal. He is the strong man. From the words, the mouth of Jesus himself, our adversary is the strong man. Let me tell you something else about him. He's fully armed, Jesus said. What does it mean to be fully armed? In a sense, Jesus wants us to know that our adversary is, 
humanly speaking, invincible. He is, however many millions of people are on this earth, he is that many million and oh. He is undefeated. Save Jesus coming. He is invincible from our perspective. He is the strong man who is fully armed. What is he armed with? Spiritually speaking, the adversary has been armed with our fallen lives. Satan has full control because we are fallen. We have bought into his lies. We have been deceived in our hearts. We are what Scripture would call spiritually dead. And Satan now is in control of us. And so he has our fallen lives as his armor. He is a strong man, and his armor, his shield, is our very fallenness. That's his power. Do you get that? Where does he get his power? He gets his power from, in one place, our fallenness. In fact, you could, from Scripture, come to the conclusion that uh, none of us can come to the Father unless the Father moves on our behalf. We are powerless. Put another way, for those of us who are in Christ, it wasn't because you were smart enough or strong enough. It was because God moved on your behalf, in your heart. He drew you with cords of love. It was because of what He has done in us who were dead. He quickened us. He made us alive. In our fallen state, we are the power, we are the armor of the strong man. He uses our fallenness and fuels us in our fallenness against our own selves. And so it can be said of him that he's not only a strong man, but he's fully armed. Uh, Another sense that he has armor is that he has the armor of this world. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Peter, all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, eyes, the pride of life. Uh, It's not of God, but the world, and it is all passing away. What armor does our adversary have? What armor does this strong man have? He has our own fallen nature that he uses against us. And he has everything in this world, in this fallen world, that he uses to guard his possession, you and I. And so he is the strong man in this world. And his armor is found in our fallenness and in the fallenness of this world. Our cosmos is at his will. Even if you've tried in your human abilities, in your own strength, even if you've tried to resist the the sinfulness of this world and you've tried to walk the straight and the narrow, you find yourself going against the tide, don't you? You find yourself climbing uphill. Because everything in this world is set against us. And that is, that is the armor of our adversary. That's what makes him, in great part, the strong man, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of this air. The whole world, and us included, lies in his grip, the evil one. And so he roams about seeking who he might devour. That's the control that he has in this world. But there is one stronger. There is one stronger. Not only is this strong man fully armed, but it says in verse 21 that he guards his own house and his possessions are undisturbed. Uh, let me, you can turn if you want to, 
it's not going to be on the screen. Let me show you a passage here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is going to describe our situation apart from Christ. Let me find it myself here. Remember Jesus Christ, verse 8, risen from the dead, descendants of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And it goes on to say that we are captives in this world. And that Jesus has come to be the one who frees us from the captivity we are under in Satan. We are captive to the will of the prince of this world. We are captive to the fallenness of this world in and of ourselves. But then Jesus says back in Luke something different of himself. Look at verse 22. But when somewhere stronger comes, then he attacks him. Who does he attack? He attacks the strong man. And he overpowers him. Here's Jesus' perspective on why he came. He is the stronger one. He is the one that can free us from the one who has current control over our lives and over our world. Uh, it was said of Jesus most aptly, probably by demons. You remember when, uh, remember when, demon, uh, when Jesus came to uh, cast the demons out of the man and the demons responded to Jesus? Remember what they said? They said, I know who you are to Jesus. You are the Jesus of Nazareth. Holy One of God. They knew very well who He was. You are the Holy One of God. And you have come to, what? Destroy us. But then they, then they made a request. Do not torment us before the time has come. Do not cast us into the abyss. The demons knew exactly who had come to earth in the form of a babe. Um, you might remember Herod. At the time that it was proclaimed that there had been one born king of the Jews, he makes a decree. Remember the Christmas story? He makes a decree. Why does he do that? Because he knows who it is that will grow into a man. Under the control of the ultimate adversary, Satan, the evil one, Herod represents that evil in knowing that this child has come on the attack. He's not just an innocent babe in a manger. This is the full-fledged attack of the Godhead here on earth against the strong man, the prince of this world. Christmas is an all-out attack. Jesus sees himself as that stronger man on the attack. Satan knows it. Satan's cohorts know it. Herod knew it. The demons who he would cast out along the way knew it. They knew what he was here for. He wasn't here just to live a good life. 
do not, do not torment us now. Do not send us yet into the abyss. They, they knew the end of the story. They knew what he had come to do. Here's what he does. Jesus is on the attack in the form of a babe. This is God's get, uh, battle plan. You can think about it this way, that Jesus, in the form of a child, was planted on earth to destroy sin and the father of all the lies. It's like this, this little child is, is this bomb waiting to go off to destroy all that the adversary had under his control. All the power of the adversary, of the strong man, to be loosed, that the captives might be set free. That's you and I. We are, we are that which is being guarded by the strong man. And that which in and of ourselves, without Jesus, remains undisturbed, completely protected. The strong man undefeated. No one escapes his power and control. He guards his house, we who are in the control of his house, the prince of this world, the evil one, he guards his possessions and he does a good job at it. And none escape except for when the stronger man comes. Look what happens when the stronger man comes. He overpowers him. In uh, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, I thought it was interesting uh, we don't find this in Scripture, but there was an interesting interpretation in Mel Gibson's mind on the perspective that Satan had during the Passion. You remember there was this beastly figure following Jesus as Jesus is carrying the cross in the crowd. You couldn't really tell if it was a human, a man, a woman. You couldn't really tell. It was just this, this ominous creature following Jesus all the way to the cross. And what you, what you began to realize was, is that this creature, this evil thing, did not want Jesus to go where he was going. It didn't want him to make it to his destination. Why? Because the adversary knew that this babe planted was not just innocent. He was that bomb planted on earth to destroy and to blow up his whole system. And if he makes it from babe to the cross, then he wins. I think, I think Mel Gibson got it right in his portrayal of this, this adversary, this evil one, that he wasn't happy that Jesus was on this path to the cross. It's as if he didn't want him to make it. You remember when, um, you remember when Jesus was uh, being tempted by the devil? Why? Why? Because the adversary knew that if he makes it to his destination, he wins. If he sacrifices himself, he wins. If he dies for the sins of the world, all the captives are released. And his, his, whole, his whole household that has been very well protected and guarded up to this point just blows up. And he loses. In the weakness of Christ, in the sacrifice of Christ, he becomes actually stronger than the strong man. And he sets the captives free. And so Satan, interestingly enough, I think this is the only time that Satan himself appears to a human being. And it's Jesus, the God-man. We see demons throughout Scripture dealt with on earth. You never really get the appearance of Satan himself except face-to-face -face with Jesus. And he, and he tries all kinds of 
Let's make a deal, ploys, with Jesus to keep him from going the path that he was divinely sent here to go on. Why? Satan knows that's, that's the end of his rule. That's the end of his reign. He's the strong man, but there is one stronger. But if I can keep him from going to the cross, maybe if I can just give him part rule of things here on earth, maybe if we can share the rule here on earth and I can set him up as a king here on this earth, right here, right now, then I can keep him from being the eternal winner and king. And my house and Satan's mind will stay intact and none will be set free. He could just help me rule over it. The prince of this world. I'll share it. And Jesus said no. In the end, Jesus just said, get out of here. That's not, that's not my purpose. Jesus knew why he came. Jesus knew that Christmas was an attack on, uh, you could put it this way, it was an attack on the Death Star. Any Star Wars fans out there? Yeah, The Death Star, this impenetrable force that could destroy anything in its path. Turns out there was one way in, this one small crack. This, this one small way that if you, if, if you planted the, the missile in right there, the whole thing blows up. Uh, that's kind of what Jesus was on Christmas to this death star of our, our fallen world. Planted by the Father, this innocent small babe to destroy the whole thing from the inside out. Jesus came to overpower. He also came to take his armor away and distribute the plunder. Uh, that, is, that is the typical battle plan for any in that day. You'd come in, you'd whoop up on everybody, and uh, you'd take their armor from them, and then you'd distribute all their, their, their goods. And that would, totally, that would totally disintegrate the kingdom. That's, that's the way you did it. This is military language from the mouth of Jesus. What has he come to do? He's come on the attack. He's attacking the strong man. He is the stronger man. He overpowers him. Notice that he doesn't just fight with him. The picture is that he comes in and he wrings his neck and he's done with him. It's an ultimate win. It's David over Goliath. When no one else would, you get this small child who comes in and you get this Goliath who's fully armored, has all this control and power, and he nails him right between the eyes, right? And then what does he do? He takes his own sword and he cuts his head off. He takes the the very weapon of the enemy that was meant to kill him, And he turns it back on the enemy and now uses his own sword to defeat the enemy. Kind of like our cross. The enemy of the adversary turned against the adversary and used to defeat the very adversary with his own weapons. Jesus, as a babe, is is David and Goliath. This small child defeating this strong man Why? Because there is one stronger who's coming on the attack, who overpowers him. And then he takes his stuff and he just disperses it. He takes all that that the adversary has been using to guard his house 
What did we say he was arming himself with? Our fallen nature, our sinfulness. He had us under control. The ploys of this world, the pride of life, the lust of our eyes, the lust of flesh. He used all that against us. And now Jesus comes in, sets the captives free, executes the enemy, takes all that he used to arm himself and guard his ownership, and he disperses it back to us, those who were captive. Now we not only are free, but we have now all the plunder that was once used against us. We're free now. And so sin has no longer any control over us. Death has no more sting. We get, we get the bounty from the stronger man defeating the strong man. You see what Christmas is in Jesus? In Jesus' mind? He takes his armor. And he distributes his plunder. Now we are forgiven, justified, free, innocent. Able to live in holiness. We were once sold into the slavery of the prince of this world. We were under his control and he was invincible, humanly speaking. We could not defeat him. We could not be released in our own power from his control. He was the strong man and he was good at his job. And if it weren't for the stronger man coming in to defeat the strong man, we would be hopeless. But when Jesus comes in, the stronger one, and defeats the strong through this innocent sneak attack of a babe who would grow into a man and sacrifice himself for the sins of this world, guess what? Freedom to the captives. All those who were in the house of the adversary now get set free. And everything that he once used against us, we get to now use it for our new king, for the stronger man, for his benefit. And now we can, we can be the husbands we're supposed to be. We have now the freedom and the power and the ability to become the men, the women, the children that we are supposed to be. We are God's work of grace. And we now have full capacity of, our, of ourselves once again. We're not, under, we're not under the control of the adversary. And then Jesus says this in 23. He's not, he is not with me, he is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters with me. Now let me tell you, let me tell you what he's doing right here. Remember the context of these verses, all right? Because the next several verses, if you don't know what the context here, you take them completely out of their context, you can do some squirrely things with these next verses. And we love to do squirrely things with these next verses. Rule number one of in, interpreting your Bible, reading Scripture, is always keep it in context. If we don't know what the context of these passages are, if we don't know what Jesus is trying to do here, then you can do some weird things right here. Remember what he's doing. The Pharisees have looked at him and said, you're healing this guy while well, you're doing it through the power of the adversary. I'm not with the adversary. This strong man, I have nothing to do with him except that I'm on the attack. I've come to set you all free from this guy. I'm coming in and I'm, I'm cutting his head. I'm freeing you from all this. I'm at war with this man. And he's had absolute control. But now, guess what? I've defeated him. And he turns back now in that context with that being the crowd around him. And he says, listen, if you're not, if you're not with me, you're against me. You're standing over there with him yourself, actually. 
the one you've claimed that I'm in cahoots with, you're actually with him. Know what's going on here, people. If you're not with me, if you're not on my side, the the stronger man, you're, you're on the other side. You're still under the control of the adversary. That's the truth, Jesus says. And then he says even more than that. If you're not here, if you're not here to gather, it's not just being against me, but if you're not just with me, if you're not gathering with me, if you're not calling the rest of this world to that truth with me, then guess what? You know what you're actually doing, religious leaders who are accusing me? You're actually just scattering them further from me. You're not helping this scenario. I mean, what was the, what was the typical problem with the religious leaders of the day? They were, they were just that. They were just religious leaders. They were legalists. They had religion in mind, and that was all they cared about, was following rules and regulations. And that was the extent of their salvation. Can I keep the rules and regulations? And they didn't like Jesus coming, and they didn't like the route of grace that he was taking, and so they would accuse him here and there. You see it over and over and over. And Jesus says, listen, if you're not with me, you're against me, and you're not doing any good to help me gather, you're actually scattering. You're causing more damage for the kingdom of God. Because all you're doing is bringing this religious spirit. And I'm trying to help you understand that I've broken Satan's back. He has no more power. He has no more control. Live under what Paul would call the law of grace now. And they're not going to like that. That's the context of what's going on here. So keep going. Verse 24. He, he gives us a, an illustration here. When the unclean spirit, now follow me here, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says to itself, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there. Why? Because there's more room now. Nice house. Let's go back. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. What does that mean? In the context, he's talking to those who have just accused him. And here's, here's what he's saying. Listen. In all your religious activity, it may be that, that the evil spirit, this, the, the demons of this adversary who have control over your life, they may flee. They may walk away. They may, doing, may, doing, uh, they may do it uh, by their own accord. They may just be moving on to do something else. Or it may be by your religious activity that they move out of their rightful dwelling place, you and I in the world, for a time. They may do that. But here's the truth of what happens. They move out. They pass through waterless places. That's a picture of a desert place. And they don't like it out there. And so here's what they say. They don't like what they're finding. So they come to their senses. I'll return to where I was. The picture is that they like it better where they were. And so they go back. And now they go back, and what do they find? Do they find a born-again, Holy Spirit-filled believer? No, that's not what they're finding. Not in the context. They're finding a religious, law-keeping, rule-following, human-powered, all on their own, not by the power of the Spirit, not by grace. They find the man trying to clean up his own house. And the demon comes back, the spirit comes back, and he says, Ben, you've cleaned up around here. You got yourself looking pretty good. You know what? I think I'll go get some friends. 
And what Jesus says here is, is really an indictment of the religious leaders. And he says, look, you can clean up your house as much as you want. You can think that you're doing these religious things very well. You may be doing well at them. But unless I, the stronger one, defeats the enemy, his power over you is invincible. And he's just going to keep coming back. And you may clean up the surface, you may sweep the floor, but you can't wash the house. The picture here is, let me read it, because I can't say it any better than, um, than Matthew Henry, a famous commentator, said. Listen to this. He says that his heart still remains the devil's house. Whose heart? That's the, the heart of the man who's just living a religious life, okay? Trying to play the game, trying to clean up himself. Satan still has authority over him. His heart still remains the devil's house, the strong man's house. He calls it his own. Satan calls you his own. And Satan retains his interest in you. And yet, the unclean spirit is gone out. Notice, however, he was not driven out by the power of a converting grace. He goes out on his own accord. Did you notice that? It doesn't say he was driven out. It doesn't say he was ordered out. It doesn't say he is, he is sent out. It just says he goes out on his own. There was none of the violence which the kingdom of heaven suffers against such a spirit. But he went out. He withdrew for a time so that the man seemed not to be under the power of Satan as he was formerly. Nor so is he followed with the temptations of the spirit. Satan is gone. Or has, maybe for a time, to deceive the man even more, turned himself into an angel of light. The house is swept from all the common pollutions maybe by a forced confession of sin, kind of like Pharaoh's, a feigned contrition, maybe like Ahab's, a partial reformation, maybe like Herod himself. There are those that have escaped the pollutions of this world, listen now, and yet are still under the power of the God of this world. The house is swept, but it is not washed. And Christ hath said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. The house must be washed. Or it is none of Jesus. Sweeping takes off only the loose dirt. While the sin that besets the sinner, the beloved sin, that hidden sin, is untouched. It is swept from the filth that lies open to the eye of this world. But it is not searched and ransacked for its secret filthiness. It is swept, but the leprosy is still in the wall. And it will be till something more is done. The house is decorated with common gifts and graces. It is furnished just with a facade. It is not furnished with any true grace, but garnished or decorated with the pictures of grace. Simon Magnus was decorated with faith. Balaam with good desires. Herod with a respect for John. The Pharisees with many external performances. It is decorated, but it is... It is like a pot covered with silver dross in Jesus' day. It's all painted up, all varnished, but not real, not lasting. The house is decorated, but the property has not been altered. It was never surrendered to Christ, nor inhabited by the Spirit. Let us therefore take heed. Take heed. What's the danger? The danger is we clean up the house ourselves, but there's never been any power. There's never been any attack on the owner of the house. There's never been an attack 
by the stronger man to the strong man. And so you clean up. You clean out. When the demon, the unclean spirit comes back, he finds even more space and invites even more friends. And so, to those in context, you're actually worse than you were when you started. You've gotten pretty good at cleaning yourself up. That just, it makes you more of an enemy to me. Because I need you to give up, not clean up. I'm the stronger man. Jesus is, in that way, kind of the Luke Skywalker to the Death Star, isn't he? On the attack. It's like the secret attack come at Christmas Day in the form of a babe planted in the world for the destruction of the strong man and all that is under his control. That's Jesus. That's, that's Christmas in the, in the words of Jesus himself. It's not what we think about when we think about Christmas. It's not as pretty as that, is it? If you ever talk to a, uh, to a soldier or a veteran from a previous war or even one of our current wars, if you talk to them on July 4th or Veterans Day or Memorial Day, they have a, uh, they have a view of our country that's a little bit different from those of us who have not been in the situation of war, don't they? When I think about Memorial Day, I think about grilling, steak. When I think about Veterans Day, I think about red, white, and blue and flags. And July 4th, I think about fireworks and waving the little sparklers around and kids and barbecues and fun and freedom. Um, But I imagine when my dad, who served in Vietnam, uh, when he thinks about some of those holidays, it's a different perspective, wouldn't you think? Um, I remember when I was young noticing for the first time this scar on my father's shoulder and then another one on his thigh and asking him, what's that little, what's that little mark? <laughs> Just a little guy. Uh, never offered an answer until I asked. That's where I got shot in Vietnam. Took one here, took one here. Purple Heart, never talks about war, never goes on and on about Nam. You ever, you, ever, you ever meet and talk to those guys? You've got to pull it out of them for them to give you any details about those, those days in war. Uh, my brother was in Desert Storm at the outset of the battle, was in one of the forces that uh, initially penetrated Kuwait. I've never heard him talk about it. Never heard him speak a word about anything that went on there on the ground. When he was there, I was in high school. I remember when he first came back. Uh, I was a little immature, and I wanted to know. I wanted to know some details in my patriotic high school mind. I wanted. I wanted to hear the, the good stuff. Not a word. It's interesting. The guys who uh, who are ex-military who like to talk about that stuff. Aren't you instinctively just? drawn away from them. There's something wrong with the guy who wants to celebrate in, a, in an overt way some of those things. Have you met that guy? And they're rare because most of those guys, they hang a flag at the front of their yard. They may have one of those old hats on that says where they served, but you don't hear them talk about it very often. 
They just have a different perspective. I wonder when we get to heaven what Jesus' perspective of Christmas is going to be. One who, one who came as the stronger man on the attack in the form of a helpless babe. This sneak attack. I wonder what his perspective of Christmas might be and how it might be different from ours. Let's pray. As you're praying, let me read, let me read something to you here. The last two verses of this section, listen to what's said. While Jesus was saying these things, he had some people who were listening. One of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you have nursed. It's a different perspective on Christmas, isn't it? Blessed is the one that, that birthed you and nursed you. Thanks be to God for her. Thanks be to God for the birth of, of this man, this stronger man who came to defeat the strong man. But now listen to Jesus' response. But Jesus said, on the contrary, <laughs> blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. You know what Jesus wants? Jesus doesn't just want celebration of his birth and all the pomp and all the celebration and all the fanfare. That's fine. But you know what he wants more so? He wants men and women who hear the word of what he has done for their freedom to set them free from their captivity. And he wants them to observe it. Respond to it. Live your life out from it. Know what I've done coming in the form of a child. That I have come on the attack. Mission Christmas. An eternal mission sent by God in the form of man to defeat an undefeated adversary. That's Christmas. Jesus, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you stood to our defense. And Lord, it's true. You didn't come like we thought you might. You didn't come like the Pharisees and the leaders of the day thought you might. Your attack was, uh, was different than we thought it'd be. But you were on the, on the attack nonetheless. And you did what we could not do. You defeated our foe. And you set us free from the adversary. You've taken the strong man and you've broken his back. And you've plundered his house. <laughs> That's us. And you've set us free. And there is no threat. There is no threat of the spirits coming back to reside within us. Because we are filled with your spirit. No longer under the control of the adversary or his cohorts. We're free. Might we live this Christmas season celebrating our freedom and the joy that you bring. Give us, Lord, give us a, a different perspective this Christmas season as we celebrate the birth of your, of your attack plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray, who is the stronger man.